Welcome to X-Rated Movies! Christmas in December! So, Ryan. So, Matt. Today marks a very special episode for us. <gasps> what could that be? <laughs> this is our 200th regular movie. Oh, my God. So, you got to get rid of all those bonus episodes. Uh, in the trash. Qu- quick and Dirty's other the the uh, everything that's on the, on the on the Patreon feed only just in the garbage. Don't even consider. Don't even. Yeah, not not up for consideration. When we're talking about just regular episodes, this is our two hundredth movie. Yeah, you pulled this card when we got. I think the one hundredth movie was Beetlejuice. It correct? was. Yeah. Yes. Uh, did you plan this? Because there, I think Beetlejuice and uh, the, today's movie are kind of a of they, a piece. They, I did not plan it like really with great forethought or anything. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Uh, you weren't like a hundred episodes ago being like, I know what I'm going to do. Well, because th- there's a couple movies that I had planned for the, the Noel, mm-hmm. and uh, you kind of pushed my hand towards one over the other. Okay. So it was this or a different movie. Okay, okay. And okay. so combination of things led up to this. <laughs> We're talking in such like generalities. <laughs> no, very politic about it. <laughs> As if you can't just look at the name of the podcast and know what movie we're talking what about. What could we be talking about? So, I did a little assessment. You know, I am I'm very prone to numbers and data and, uh-huh. and breaking things out into categories. It's, it's a passion of mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, I looked over our last hundred movies okay. to compare them to A, the AFI, which we have a love-hate relationship with, right? but also to uh, the first hundred movies that we did to see if we have improved in our diversity or if we've uh, regressed a little bit. Oh, okay. I'm going to assume we, we progressed. <laughs> well, okay. So things that we did found last time, if you'll recall... <laughs> Women directors was a real problem area, if I remember correctly. Well, also diversity of uh, a decade... Right. Uh, <laughs> how's, that, how's that breakdown now? So, uh, just a quick rundown of, of, of through the decades of our first hundred movies from the 1900s. We did zero movies. Right. The 1910s, we did zero movies. The 1920s, we did zero movies. The 1930s, we did one movie. What's here for him? <laughs> the 1940s, we did zero movies. Wow. The 1950s, we did zero movies. Mm. The 1960s, we did four movies. Hey. Uh, the 1970s, we did three movies. Oh, yeah, and what a killer decade. Then we get to, to our, <laughs> our birthright. So I was born in 1980, and suddenly, movies galore. 23 movies from 1980. Yes. yes. Uh, 31 movies from the 1990s. Woo! 15 from the 2000s, and 23 from 2010, which when we recorded uh, that Beetlejuice episode was 2018. Right. So it was, so it was the years. first eight years we did 23 movies. All right. <laughs> so uh, this one comes at a better time. We're like right at the end of, of, of 2020 now. I feel right. like it's a little bit more. Uh, we can say that the 2010s are closed out right. essentially. Right, right, right. So do you think we did better or worse in our, our decade diversity? In, in these last hundred episode. For context, it's everything from Exorcist forward. I'm worried we did worse. To be honest. You're right to be worried. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you guess how many we did from the 1900s? Zero. Can you guess how many we did from the 1910s? Zero. The 1920s? Zero. 1930s? Zero. <laughs> So, all right, we're already doing one worse. <laughs> the 1940s. Uh, zero. We did two. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. so we would have done um, something like it hot. Uh, oh, is that 50s? That was 50s. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, uh, okay, just tell me. I don't know. Unfaithfully Yours and Rope, okay. both from 1948. Hey, that's, there's an improvement. <laughs> uh, so the 1950s. At least one. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We in fact did three from the 1950s. Hey, okay, that's uh, better. Yeah. 
Uh, we yeah, with some like it hot, streetcar named Desire, and then Vertigo, which was an AFI movie. But, okay, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you want to count those. Nineteen uh, sixties. I'll bet we did about four. We did exactly four. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Victim, High and Low, Purple Noon, and Dementia Thirteen. <laughs> You had me until the last one there. <laughs> uh, 1970s. I'll bet that went up as well. We, it did. We actually did 11 from that decade. There we go. I'm going to get some of those in there. <sighs> so now we're entering our, our birthright <laughs> decades. Um, 1980s. I'll bet that went up too. <laughs> we actually went down a little bit. Oh, no. Yeah, we only did 20 films <laughs> from the 1980s. <sighs> We got to get that back up this next 100. Uh, 1990s, up or down? I think that went down too. It did went down. We only did 21 compared to 31. Yeah, I feel like we were sensitive to that, or I was being sensitive to it. And then uh, the 2000s? I think that probably went down. It went up. Oh, shit. 22 movies from the 2000s. Okay, okay. And then uh, the 2010s? That went up. It went down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so 17 movies. We diversified in time a little bit. A little bit. Our average year from the first 100 movies was 1996. Okay. The average year for these last 100 movies, including today's movie, 1993. Hey! <laughs> so, not a huge one. And then for our statistician listeners out there, I also did the median year. So if we lined up all the movies in chronological order, the exact middle year, uh-huh. 1993 as well. Hey, well, uh, right on target. The Guess what year we did the most of? Oh, boy. Um, I would say 77. You think we did more movies from 1977 than any other year? I really, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, 2008, because really? that was the bad gay movie season. Oh. So we got Siren in the Dark, Three Day Weekend, Frat House Massacre, all f- from 2008. Right. Cedar Sings the Blues was also 2008. Okay. Synecdoche, New York. Right. Speed Racer, and everybody's favorite, Repo, the Genetic Opera. Hey, what a year. <laughs> yeah, banner year for us. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, now on to a breakdown. So I broke it down. AFI is famously not diverse. Right. Uh, if you if you break out their most recent list, 96 of the 100 movies are directed by cis-hetero white men. Right. They have no female directors on the AFI, and only two are done by what I'm considering queer, and even then it's sort of a gimme. Mm-hmm. And then people of color, Spike Lee and, and M. Night Shyamalan, like, and we're done. Not super diverse. So we, of course, are much better diversity wise than them. I know our women numbers have to go up. Um, our women numbers went up a little bit. Oh, come on. We have eight f- female directors from our last hundred compared to six. Wow. From our first hundred. I feel like I really tried, too. <laughs> well, when you only do one a season or something. Yeah. Because uh, we, which some of these, like Siren in the Dark, like. Yeah. That, and that was co-directed by a straight guy. In the Cut, which, you know, Bettina McKelvey picked technically. Uh, Cita Sings the Blues. We need to talk about Kevin. Stories We Tell. The Piano. Speed Racer. And then Near Dark. So, actually, you didn't choose that many. <laughs> But I brought people on who did. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, Piano is more technically Darren. Uh, you did Speed Racer, but I did Near Dark, and uh, we need to talk about Kevin. I did see the things the blues. <laughs> you did. You did. So, yeah, not great women numbers, but they're there. Yeah. We're better than the AFI. Okay, we can, we can keep that. We can improve. It's room for improvement. People of color. I'm worried about this one. We actually did worse this time oh, on this no. the second hundred. I looked, and a lot of it is because a lot of the English-speaking movies that we did, like foreign films, of course, like when we're doing uh, a Pedro Almodovar movie or something like that, like you know, uh, or you know, and I did an action season. There was like a handful of, of right. Asian action movies, like that bumps up the people of color ones. 
But like even our English speaking movies like Pacific Rim or Nowhere and things like that were directed by people of color That's in that right. first hundred. And we didn't really have that this time around. Hmm, okay. So uh, we're at seven down from 12. Okay. To be fair, we had a pandemic this year <laughs> and I, I wanted to eat a lot of comfort food. Sure, um, so, sure. So, you know. And some of these might be a little generous, like I did the apple, because he's Middle Eastern, but, like, he was, like, I think born and raised in America, but... Yeah. Yeah, the rest of them, you know, Time Crimes is in there, and then, of course, you know, our our back-to-back of Brokeback and uh, Ice Storm. Ang Lee, yeah. So, yeah, we're down on the people of color department, so needs improvement in, okay. in that one. that's fair, that's fair, I, I take that. And then uh, queer directors, up or down? I'm going to say up. We had the bad gay movie season in there. We are up. Uh, we're at 19, up from 11. That's great. I and like that. I When I was doing research, because the bad gay movie season was surprisingly hard to figure out if all the directors were gay. Interesting. Because, uh, A, there's not a lot of press on those people. Mm-hmm. But, two, it's like if you look at their filmography, a lot of times they went on to do, like, straight movies mm. so it's like if they had a, a career of doing gay movies I'm like okay they're probably gay right but if it's like that was just like a one-off thing then i'm like i'm not so sure i don't know what to say yeah so i gave people the benefit of the doubt on that one a little bit but okay. yeah the bad gay movie season definitely helped but like you know velocity of gary was directed by a straight guy it and- shows <laughs> uh so that one wasn't as gay as i thought but you know you got Paris 559, Single Man, Desperate right. Living in Hairspray. Right. Then, of course, we get into bad gay movie season, Altitude Falling, Testosterone, Pornography, A Thriller, Three Day Weekend, Trip, Frat House Massacre, Socket, and Kaboom. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. You know what? I did not have Kaboom as directed by a person of color. I'm Greg hey. Aracki. Yeah. So that bumps that up one. I'll take it. We did our Haynes Her Way. That's right. Uh, Bitter Tears of Peter Von Kant. Mm-hmm. Private Parts, Speed Racer, Knife Plus Heart, and God's Own Country. All right. Really coming in at the end there. I like that. (laughs) So uh, need diversifying in the the people of color realm. Okay. I can do that. But yeah, both women and queer directors we did more of in these the Mm -hmm. second hundred than the first hundred. I say we can still do more. I I think we can do better. Yeah. Yeah. Reach for the stars. That's my motto. Mm -hmm. I appreciate these little check-ins. It really keeps me on my toes here. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, this is just sort of a state of the podcast, looking how we're doing. I like compartmentalizing. I like statistics. Part of it is like when you break things down into like data points, it can kind of show where our values are a little bit. Puts things in stark relief. Yeah, especially like when we're picking out the decades. It's like, okay, we like movies from when we were alive. Mm -hmm. That's where we put the most value. And yeah, it can show a trend. It can show our taste a little bit in uh, quantifiable nuggets. Well, Matt, I think I'm going to use this as the perfect transition into today's movie, if you'll allow it. One of the big things I got from watching today's movie, which I'm going to let you introduce in just a minute, I'm going to let you finish is that uh, in the 80s, and probably thanks to Steven Spielberg in general, children and wonder became a thing that was marketable and was something that Hollywood was ready to jump on. Despite the fact that we'd never done a Steven Spielberg movie. (laughs) Right. But because of that, growing up in the 80s and seeing those movies, being weaned on those movies we have a new appreciation for the medium of cinema. Sure. It's a theory I'm, I'm working on. And so, therefore, we're interested in, in movies starting then and everything moving forward. I think there's a large generation of people who were weaned on mo- movies in the 80s because of Steven Spielberg and now consider themselves film buffs. Right. They probably realize that like kids want to see movies. And it's like big blockbusters in the 70s or 60s it's like there were kids' movies, of course, but I don't think they hit all four quadrants necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think in the 1980s is when they're like 
let's make family friendly movies that also appeal to adults. Your 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 backs to the future. Right. Your Raiders of the Lost Arks. Uh, <laughs> you know stuff like that. That like adults love those movies, right? But you can absolutely take kids to go see them. So it was like hit that family friendly quadrant a little bit but also hit the other three as well and advancements in special effects made like imagination possible sure in ways that movies weren't able to do up until that point and like i think the big you know breaker or break point of that is probably star wars sure and then probably yeah from then on it was just like you know which is also probably open. like a good like multi-quadrant movie yeah but uh, so that yeah, that brings me to today's movie, which fits snugly into all these things we've just been talking about, including being produced by Steven Spielberg. A little movie from 1984 called Gremlins. La 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 la. Yeah, this is this is a movie right in our fucking wheelhouse. Like just. Plucked out of the decade that we know the best. Uh, get it, those 80s numbers right back up. We're starting, <laughs> starting off strong. Uh, yeah. Uh, or we're ending on a high note, technically. Right, this, is, this is number 200. I mean, this is one of those movies that kind of feels custom made for us, or maybe we've grown up and our sensibilities are just molded around this, like wax being poured into a cavity. <laughs> yeah. It's like I watching the I watch this now, you know, almost forty years on, and it's like, oh this man, is, you're right. <laughs> this is the shit I I grew up with. Like these were the kind of movies I got to see as a kid, and I'm so lucky because it's like this shit is bananas. <laughs> <laughs> this, this movie is crazy. Watching it last <laughs> night, you know what I I really like took away from this. This movie's not afraid of payoff. It's like, what if we had all these like crazy creatures, and like, what if we did crazy things with them? I, I mean, I don't want to like jump right, right into the deep end, but it's like, what if we put a head in a microwave? <laughs> like, we'll get to that kitchen scene. I have. Many <laughs> you mean the mother's to... killing spree? <laughs> uh, but yeah, and also, it's not afraid to just be fucking entertainment the whole no. time through. Like, I feel like it. it there's. This is going to sound harsh. This movie's all over the place. Like, I don't oh. think... I think this is a very unfocused movie, and I don't care. I love it. But I, I kind of think the unfocusedness lead... Like, it, it's part of what makes the gremlin part so jarring and shocking. Because it's like, okay, when, like, Billy, played by a very yummy Zach Galligan... I had to look it up. He's 20, so in this movie. Very hello, young man sort of uh, look. I mean, there's a a series like changing his shirt, and I'm like, whoo! Well, yes, you can come in and tell me about the Lord. (laughs) Uh, But there's just a scene of him talking to uh, Phoebe Cates. He's, like, walking her home and, like, walks her to her doorstep and, like, asks her if she's free on Thursday. And it's, like, just this really almost overly saccharine Capra-esque sort of moment of teenage love between these two. Yeah. But like when she says yes and like his smile reaction, he kind of like steps closer to the camera. I'm like, that smile just melted my heart. Because, I mean, I was just wondering uh, if you're not doing anything this Thursday night, maybe you'd like to uh, go out on a date with me? I'd love to. Oh, yeah? It's also not the sort of scene that you would think would appear in a creature feature. Well, that's the thing. Is like, <laughs> I, like I said, it's, I know it sounds harsh, but like the unfocused part of this movie, I'm never angry at the movie for it because it's so entertaining that like that moment, it takes the time to be like, okay, let's have this moment. It's going for that feel, that like sentimental feel 100%. Mm-hmm. And so I'm never bored. Even if it's like, weren't we like just seeing weird puppets eating chicken? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. And then we go to this, like, okay, whatever tonal shift. I'm I'm here for it. I mean, on on the weird puppets eating chicken thing, like that is that scene is strange. Like that chicken is goopy. 
It looks gross. Those, so, yeah, all the close-ups on the gizmos were apparently, like, enlarged. Mogwise. Mo- Mogwise, thank you. Were, like, enlarged puppets. So okay. That, so they could do those close-ups. And so the chicken had to be large sure. yeah. for that. And so I guess maybe they just... That they really had to grease it up. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Really rub that Vaseline or whatever it was on whatever it. Whatever the goop was. Uh, the industrial farm lube. <laughs> I love the special effects throughout this movie. Like, it just... I mean, to go back to things that are in our wheelhouse, we're always raving about practical effects, and I just fucking love them here. They never got better than, like, the 80s. Like, it really is doing it for real, looks great, and this was, like, the peak of it. It really was. Like, I I can't imagine what the budget was, but it was well spent. Mm -hmm. It just, it holds up, like, to my eyes at least, there are some literal strings that I see in some scenes. Sure. But I don't know. Just like in that kitchen scene when like the gremlin thinks he hears something and like the way that like the ear moves, I was like, that's kind of like the way my dog's ear moves. Like when she thinks she hears something yeah, or when she actually does. And I just can't hear it. Mm-hmm. Cause I guess they were going to try and use like chimpanzees and makeup or like, you know, lower primates. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, instead of instead of puppets, because they didn't think that they'd actually be able to like get the puppets to like move in a way that they wanted. Uh-huh. And so, like, well, we'll just dress up animals like gremlins, and they'll we'll train them. And I'm like, I can't imagine that movie being at all good. That would that sounds awful. Yeah, like, this this ain't no monkey shines. <laughs> hey, there'll be no <laughs> monkey shines on bad mouthing on my watch. I liked monkey shines. No, but like, just th- this movie's crazy because the tone is all over the place. But because the special effects and just the fun that this movie has with just being an entertainment fiasco craziness, the, I'm I mean, on board for. There's it. like no table setting. Like we never learn what Amagwai is. I feel like if this movie were made today, we'd have like some scene where it's explaining how Mogwais are the genetic hybrid of some series of stupid animals that crossbred in some stupid scenario and it's like we don't get any of that and i'm like i'm so happy that we don't no yeah i don't want to know why water the most basic thing that we have on this this they might as well be like allergic to oxygen like what happens if it rains they Uh, go in the snow constantly and that does nothing. Is like, that, well, that's wh- snow mats. So. <laughs> Listen, the the rules, the rules on the Mogwai. They're drinking beer at that bar. Like, what what's the difference between the beer that they're drinking and like the chlorinated water that he jumps into? Like, the, like none of that made any sense to me. And then, of course, like... And then, uh, uh, well, just real fast, before we get to the third rule, which is a sticking point for me... It seems like Gizmo only births evil Mogwai. <laughs> What's that about? Why is he the only good one? Well, I think all gremlins are inherently evil, and he's like a, a, a beta cuck. He, he's the oat boy beta cuck of the gremlin world. Okay. And he's just like v- voluntarily not reproducing because he knows that he's just going to raise a bunch of little shitheads. Right, because when he gets when Corey Feldman spills the water on him, you see him sort of sad about. You see Gizmo like kind of uh-oh. Here we go again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which if I was Gizmo, knowing what the gremlins do, I'd be a lot more worried than I just would... like oh, all right. I'd wear like a plastic suit around me yeah. all the time. <laughs> Just, yeah, he, he's like, you got some condoms? Like, let's wrap me up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The, the gremlins themselves seem to be able to fashion clothing for themselves rather quickly. So Yeah, it's, it's that like... that one flasher seemed to get a trench coat yeah. pretty quickly. Those carolers were, like, ready to go. <laughs> Scarves. Uh, <laughs> top hats. <laughs> I was going to say, that one's wearing, like, a pork pie at some point. <laughs> I did see that there was a uh, puppet milliner credit in the movie, which I love. <laughs> Uh, you're right, though. They did fashion a lot of outerwear very quickly in this movie. Um. That one is dressed up like fucking What's-Her-Face from Flashdance. I know. 
So they know what Flashdance is yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. Their breadth of cultural uh, milestones is, is very quick. Yeah, they're mugging people. They're doing it all. Yeah. yeah he, he's got the fucking face mask on. He's smoking cigars and drinking whiskey and muttering like a noir movie. Crazy. And they're very cultured. That, that whole bar scene when... <laughs> okay. <laughs> My, I have a note that's like, okay, the, the bar scene is when the movie really goes off the rails. And then like, I went back and was thinking, I was like, is that when the movie goes off the rails? But it kind of is. It's really an extended scene of... of it's like Looney Tunes at this point. Phoebe <laughs> Kate's... Like, she's lighting their cigarettes for She's him. dealing with it. Like, no, she's not even really scared. She's just like, hold on. I'll get to you. Huh? This is. She's just having a rough night at the bar. This is her moonlighting job. I'm sure you've had nights like this. You're like, okay, hold on. It's just like that girl. It, she's basically dealing with a bar full of that woman from that Rudy Giuliani hearing. I mean, like, and another thing. What about, well, you, what about, you about the, the turnout rate? Zero. How many voters? Zero. I just feel like, so she's, this is her moonlighting job. So she's probably just on autopilot. She's just like, oh yeah, of course, fucking gremlins. Like, yeah. I've, um, I've already worked 80 n- hours Another day, another week. dollar. Yeah. <laughs> like, put your head down, power through. <laughs> Going back to that scene you talked about where, they go, where he asked her out on a date, it's like, She's working full time at a bank and then moonlighting as a well, cocktail waitress. I don't even think she's moonlighting. I think she's like volunteering. Oh God! Because uh, she says something like, "Yeah, I'm working there so that so and so doesn't have to hire another waitress." Uh, and then uh, uh, Judge Reinholds, um, who got no comeuppance in this movie, which I wish yeah, he would. Yeah, he didn't, did he? I would have really liked to see something with him. Oh, well, excuse me, Judge Reinhold, but I am trying to protect my family. Well, because he, he makes some remark. He's like, well, Colin's sick. What are they going to do? Dock your pay? And so it it sounds like she's, like, volunteering there, essentially. Oh, I just read that it was, like, so low that it didn't really matter. Oh, maybe, but, yeah, it, uh, just, yeah, the combination of, like, what are they going to do, dock your pay? And then, like, her saying that, like, yeah, so they don't have to hire another waitress. Makes it sound like she's working there for free. <sighs> well, I'm just, regardless, whether she's getting paid or not, I just thought it was crazy that she's like, yeah, I'll go out on a date on my only day off. I know. I'm like, you're working so much. Take a day for yourself. I struggle with having, like, a weekend to, like, do something. Yeah. And, like, she's still, like, because they're still in school. Uh, yeah. Like, because he takes the, the gremlin to his, like, biology teacher. Yeah, I thought those were high school students, and that was his old high school. Oh, was it his reason. old high school? Yeah, because Corey Feldman is there going to school. Yeah. And he's like a teenager. Yeah, sure. definitely, definitely. So I, that's what I thought. Oh, well, maybe. I just figured if he was living at home, he must have still been in high school. Which, sweet pad, by the way. The attic oh, yeah. setup. Yeah. He's got, like, antique lamps. The fucking TV's mounted to the ceiling. I'm like... Where's my apartment like that? Yeah, that's a cool 80s bedroom. Yeah, I want to grow up to be Zach Galligan. Do you remember Elliot's bedroom in um, E.T.? I just remember he had a bunch of like stuffed animals. Or was that Drew Barrymore's bedroom that had all the stuffed animals? It was in their closet and, that they shared. Oh, okay. But his room was... I remember he had a cool kid's bedroom. and just like feel like 80s kid's bedrooms were pretty cool. Sure. And this was definitely like a, like an Aspire 2 bedroom. And he's just he just spends his nights drawing comics. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was like, you know what? In terms of like living with your folks, this one's not so bad. Yeah. The dad played by Hoyt Axton, mm. uh, country legend Hoyt Axton. Great voice. Great in voice. In what I believe was his first film role. Okay. They wanted to hire an unknown for the dad. So the, uh, well, I think everyone's largely unknown in this, but I was like, you know what? As sort of the stern dad, he does a good job. He sort of represents uh, a bigger theme of this movie that oh, I'm going to introduce yeah. now. Mm-hmm. But um, I think something that people may or may not know about this movie is that while on the surface it's just a fun little creature feature um it actually could be uh interpreted as uh something about the evils of consumerism Mm -hmm. and capitalism in Mm. general yes uh, i think a lot of people share your views on on this because the mogwai is bought as a christmas present that's right for a son this is unquestionably a christmas movie Mm. 
came out in June of 1984. Oh, did it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it, every scene has snow, Christmas trees. Oh, yeah. He's buying a Christmas present. Like this is without a doubt a Christmas. The mom movie. gets attacked by a Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great scene. Yeah. Great scene. We'll get to the kitchen scene, <laughs> okay? Uh, but I just, yeah, I feel like uh, you know, and like he even like when uh, Zach shows him that uh, when you get it wet. It multiplies. multiplies. He's like, I'll bet every kid in America would like to have one of these. He immediately yeah. thinks like, oh, how, how do I, I monetize this? Yeah. So pretty, pretty. And then uh, the way the gremlins act, they're super gluttonous and just like eat and drink consume and, like, and, and consume, consume, consume. So it's like, sure. oh, they're so, it's sort of like holding up a mirror to America. <laughs> <laughs> Was what I got out of it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. Like, you, there, there's a strong argument whether or not screenwriter Chris Columbus wrote that mm-hmm. in. It's hard to say, but right. yeah, Hoyt Axon. I was trying to think. I was like, does he have a song? Like, uh, did he have a hit? And I couldn't think of it. So it was, I, I just imagine that uh, his big hit is uh, "Mothers Don't Let Your uh, Boys Grow Up to Be Inventors," <laughs> because he seems like he's got a shit job, and. He's not his very inventions good are not very good. They're not very good. Uh, so he's he's got what uh, I already forgot the name of it. The pocket the, something. Uh, bathroom buddy. Bathroom buddy. I'm like that thing is so large and clunky. Can you imagine brushing your teeth with that? Just the, the thing's like the size of a mango, <laughs> and you're supposed to keep it in your pockets. And like, yeah, it like operates like a Swiss Army knife, but with like bathroom utensils. But it's like, who's carrying that around with? <laughs> Do you really want like a toothbrush with like an eight-inch circumference handle on it, and like a razor blade, and like uh, I don't know. It was just a. It seemed like there was a lot of wasted space on that. I was like, I feel like you could condense. Oh, Some yeah. of this stuff down, like get the Swiss Army on this. They'll <laughs> they'll figure out how to make it work. When they get their head in the game, they play to win. <laughs> yeah, this I'm. I don't think I'll be purchasing a Swiss Army bathroom anytime soon. Sorry, Dad. No, it's okay. Oh, no, I'm really sorry. No, it's not your fault. I'm working on that. I haven't finished that. I'm gonna get that tomorrow. What about their juicer? <laughs> to its credit, he only put in one orange. He got a lot of juice out of this. <laughs> like, they just need to control where the juice goes. Maybe well, it needs like a big dome over it. Because I swear to God, he put in one orange and got a full carton's worth of orange juice out of it. So it that just needed some plus tuning. Pulp, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the coffee thing, that's just a proto-Keurig minus the mud. I don't think we can drink this. How do you feel about the... the um, there was like a the smokeless the, ashtray. Sure. Which I, we don't really see how it works, but it made that habitual smoker cough like crazy. I remember those being sort of a thing, like like smokeless ashtrays. Like ashtrays that would absorb smoke. Oh. I don't know if they like had little fans on them that would suck it in when you were resting your cigarette. Like smoking is just, you know, culture is just a thing that's gone out the window. Yeah. Since like God. indoor smoking bands are gone. But like, yeah, ashtrays, like fancy ashtrays like that used to be a thing. Oh. So. Hmm. Um, I remember some of his other The, the egg cracking thing. <laughs> yeah. I love how whenever somebody has to use one of the inventions, they sort of look at it and sigh and they're like, <sighs> okay, here we go. And good on that family. They're supporting him even though his inventions are shit. His inventions are shit. And he goes to that convention where Steven Spielberg is. He's like riding like the little moped around. I did like the convention shot. That was a lot of fun. And I think Frank Oz is in that shot someplace too. I know uh, Jerry Goldsmith is composer. Okay. So. Uh, Which now we got to talk about the score. I know. Well, hold on. Before we get to... Put a short pin. We're going to get right back to it. Right. I, I, I just want to say I liked uh, in that scene when he's calling back at the convention, you see the like Jules Verne style um, time machine oh. in the background. Okay. And it show, he's like talking. He's like, oh, man, these are good inventions. <laughs> and then it cuts to the mom. And she's like, don't worry, honey, you'll sell. And then it cuts back. And then the time machine is gone. <gasps> and there's people like looking around like, where'd it go? Oh, I miss that. And it's just like, see, that's the kind of shit that like. You're just you're just putting it in there for fun. I was gonna say you put a short pin in that because I, I have a background joke in a little bit too. Okay. Um. Um. 
But then what, what were we coming back to? Oh, Jerry the score. Goldsmith. Yeah. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Which the score in this is, is I'm also going to say unfocused, but to the movie's benefit. Yeah. He, he like weaves in Christmas music. Well, it's like there's a, a theme for Gizmo. Right. There's a theme for Phoebe Cates. Um, I mean, there's just the Gremlins theme as well. When that, when that comes on, and it's... I remember, like, the second time I watched this movie, I, I the first time I watched it, the biggest impression I got was the, was the music at the end playing over the credits. And then I was like, I want to hear that fucking song. And then... You're waiting and waiting and waiting, and it finally plays when he comes out of the garage in that plow. Yeah. I'm just like, yes! I remember, like, I was smiling so big <laughs> at that moment. You're referring to the scene where uh, Murray Futterman, a- a.k.a. Trump's biggest supporter. He's so xenophobic. He's crazy racist, and everyone just deals with it. His goddamn foreign cars, he always frees up on you. Like, he hates anything that was not made in America. Like, holy God. Like, I know that people like that exist, but like, just that open racism. Oh, yeah. It's not good. It's not good. It's bad look, Dick Miller. <laughs> so, yeah, Dick Miller, and I cannot remember the actress that plays his wife, but they were both in the original shop, original Little Shop of Horrors together. Oh, yeah, love that. So you know, yeah, reunited like thirty years later. She's, she has, she she's played, way too accommodating, by the way. He's abusive, and she's just is. like, oh, honey. Yeah, he was Seymour, and then she was Audrey. I like that. Uh, so maybe this is a, a unofficial sequel to Little Shop of Horrors, and this is how they go out. Yeah. No. Oh. The alternate timeline where they don't die in the uh, in, in yeah, the actual at the hands of Audrey too. Yeah, alternate timeline. They still get it by like little <laughs> green men. <laughs> yeah, how about that? I like that. No, the score to this because like as unfocused as it is, it matches the mood of the scene consistently. Like when Mrs. Deagle is like walking and it has like the farty synth sounds. <laughs> uh, I was like, yeah, this is she's sort of a party pooper. Like you should have <laughs> fart noises here. Boy, she has, I was. She gets her comeuppance. Yes. And I almost want it to be a little worse. <laughs> like when she's talking about torturing the dog. dog. I'll catch the beast myself. And you'll get what he deserves. A slow, painful death. Maybe I'll put him in my spin dryer on high heat. That'd do it all right. And then we see Barney get tortured at one point yeah. i'm just like she needs it she needs to really suffer she's a cat person though yeah i had a little like moment where i was like who's that because her, oh, her wig was off yeah i was like i don't remember yeah, what was that on her head <laughs> i don't remember this character and then i figured it out but like she she does have a, a pretty glorious death But also, like, when we see the juicer for the first time, the score that plays kind of reminds me of Wendy Carlos. And so then I'm thinking, like, oh, is is this, like, some sort of, like, reference to, like, the strange architecture in, like, Clockwork Orange or something like that? Like, is that what he's referencing with this little moment here? Because it's, like, we see... And it's sort of from from like a, a an aggrandizing angle. This juicer, yeah, it's like a before it kind of goes out a little bit, and then like Billy comes in. Sure, but yeah, I, I just kind of feel like that was like just a quick reference to Wendy Carlos. Um, I'm going to take this moment to pivot to something that I noticed while watching this that I think is important because throughout the movie, there's there's like a reverence for the love of movies in general they're hmm. constantly watching movies sure because like a uh, uh invasion of the body snatchers invasion, is playing at one point right um there's oh, shit. I, I don't know what that clark gable movie that was playing that like gizmo channels at the end right they have the there's like the this the movie cinema that that is also in back to the future yeah that is showing uh yeah the, the whole set's from back to the future right. like that like movie theater and like the street that they're always on. I was like, this is the one that that uh, uh, Michael J. Fox has to drive through uh, to to exactly. get That's back Hill to the future. 
And then there's like movie posters. And I just saw a lot of times where it just seems like they, this movie is aware that it, it's pointing out that it's also part of this canon. Like it's just, mm. it's like, we, I am also, I belong with these other movies. Like it, as weird and as crazy as this movie is. And like the gremlins go and watch fucking Snow, Snow White. White. So yeah. it's like. They're undoing. Yeah. And it's like, it just shows there, there's like a reverence to movie making in general that makes me feel like the moments when they're like, showing off the special effects and stuff. They're like, this is what movies look like in 84. Yeah. And like, this is what they look like in the past. Like it just has a real awareness of where it's fitting into the history of cinema that I was surprised. It feels oh, sophisticated. And the mom's watching. It's a wonderful life. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, at yeah, some yeah. point. Yeah. Like near the beginning of the movie. There's all sorts of like movie references throughout the film. And it's like, that's not just, I mean, Steven Spielberg does it, but he's a little more, uh, subtle sometimes, but mm-hmm. like this just feels heavy-handed in a good way, in a way where it's like we belong in like movie canon. Yeah, and I would argue, sure. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Why not? I mean, Joe Dante, he's been you know quiet for a while, but he made a handful of like pretty good movies. Yeah. I did some bonus, some extra credit, and I watched Explorers. You know, I've never seen that one. I've never seen Inner Space either. And that was the other one I watched. Okay. And um, it's funny, Explorers is the perfect, because uh, he did Gremlins, Explorers, Inner Space, and uh, they work in a sequence very well. Oh, do they? Yeah, Explorers is like the perfect middle between Gremlins and Inner Space. Interesting. So, yeah. Because uh, I'm a big fan of uh, The Howling, like the horror oh, movie that mm-hmm. he did before this w- with Dee Wallace from E.T., and part of what makes the howling so good is like there's a real sort of human emotion element to it because it's like the beginning when D Wallace is attacked like you can easily read that as like a rape and like that movie's more adult than than this movie but it's like the way that it's like both the physical attack and a rape like a physical attack from a monster and the the parallels that it has to a rape like are kind of played out I was like that's actually like really and i i mean a lot of that comes from the book that it was based on but i was like they did that really well yeah. in this movie and like d wallace's performance like kind of like sells it like, okay i i think a lesser actress wouldn't wouldn't have pulled it off but and then like you know you can't have a werewolf movie without having like you know it's not gonna be any good if the werewolves are crappy looking right. and so like the creature feature effects there are awesome and i i kind of feel like steven spielberg uh, looked around to horror movies at the time mm-hmm. and was like, who does this stuff well? I bet they could probably work well with Amblin. If they if they can make a good horror movie on no budget, I bet they could probably make a real movie with a budget. And I think this is like the movie that kind of proves that point where Poltergeist, I think, is the movie that doesn't prove that point. Because like, okay. everyone says that uh, Steven Spielberg had to ghost direct that one from like, Toby Hooper. I like that. <laughs> but I think he at this time, he was just kind of looking like, who can direct no budget horror? We'll give them a real budget because, like horror, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. It's like costumes, effects, makeup, like all this shit can go wrong really easily. So if you can work with no budget and make something good out of it, then imagine what you can do with resources. With the budget, and, yeah. And for me, like I was saying earlier, it's like they use that budget well. Oh my god, the the pool scene. Oh yeah, it's so good. It's like boiling and there's lights and fog and dry ice and And then you got jerry goldsmith making that crazy yeah it's like once that happens you're like anything because the movie's already been all over the place once that happens you're like this movie can go anywhere yeah this point and i i like that well i mean you were talking about how this movie you know could be interpreted as a a anti-capitalist consumer uh manifesto i mean the finale of this movie is in a department store Montgomery Ward. Uh, and it, I think it takes place on Christmas Eve. Is that when everything's happening? Ooh, I don't know that. I can't say that for I sure. Want, but. I feel like it's Christmas Eve, but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. But, you know, the, uh, yeah, the big showdown is in a department store. I love it. And the department store sequence is so fun. You talked about this way, way in the way backs with um, Universal Soldier 4. Oh, God, episode 17 or something? Yeah, where they, they have a fight that takes place in a sporting goods store. Okay. And it's like, 
this that's a mall or a department store is the perfect place to have like a fight sequence because there's so many things you can use as implements i like fight sequences where people use everyday objects and so a department store is fun because there's a lot of different everyday objects in there it's like it's not unreasonable that there's a chainsaw there. Yeah, it's and a baseball un- bat right next to yeah, each other. Yeah, or a speaker, uh, uh, a boombox, I guess I should say. Sure. You know, and a Barbie car. Yeah, it's like it, it's believable that all this stuff is there, and so it kind of creates a wild card element while still like being confined to the rules of their environment. So all that stuff is just really fun to me. Yeah, it's also kind of gnarly like when he gets that crossbow to the bicep i'm like that would fucking hurt yeah yeah so yeah going back to the the violence and horror of this and we can maybe use this as a stepping stone to the kitchen scene the mom's killing spree (laughs) um this movie and um temple of doom both came out this year got a lot of parents upset because they both had PG ratings, and they are not PG. They're movies. not neither PG. of these. Like, you know, uh, Temple of Doom. There's really just I. F- well, I don't know. With all the bugs and the snake eating and the monkey brains, like and the pulling the heart out. I was gonna say the pulling the heart out's the the big offender there, but uh, like, does it also children slaves? <laughs> I was gonna say even if you took out the the uh, heart stuff, like, would it still be PG? Or would you still need a PG-13 rating for I'd that? I'd still push it to PG-13. But, I mean, this movie, no way is PG appropriate for this. And I think, yeah, the big moment, and we'll, we'll circle back to how good the effects are when uh, Stripe dies, but, like, so when I watched this movie as a kid, once she turns on that blender with the gremlin in it, sure. and, like, blood and guts are spilling everywhere. They're green guts. But it was like, I don't think I should be watching this. This one's actually kind of scary. Like, yeah. uh, last time I watched this was a couple years ago with my ex, Michael. And he he didn't know anything about gremlins. Like, oh. he didn't know what they looked like. He didn't know what a mogwai was. He didn't know what, what gizmo was. Wow. So, like, it was really fun watching this with someone who was going in 100% fresh. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when they multiply and they eat and they turn to cocoons, he's, like, scratching his head. He's like... Aren't they mammals? <laughs> Why are mammals going to this pupa stage? Yeah. Uh, and then they hatch. He's like, are they lizards now? Like, what is this? And then, like, you know, that kitchen scene's when we first really see right. a full gremlin. He's like, oh, they're nasty. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of stuff in that kitchen scene that, like, I would almost teach at a film school if I was a teacher. So it's like the mother goes up to the attic to kind of poke around and then the Christmas song comes on. Right. Like, I don't know if it was Bing Crosby or somebody. I can't remember. But it's, it, to me, that scene is so good at, like, the reverse of what we're expecting. Like, in a scene like this, you anticipate, like, scary music to play. Mm. Uh, and so to have it be wholesome music that's playing, but that is still ratcheting up the tension, like, that's a good inversion of expectations i feel and then like she goes down turns off the record you see the shadow of that one gremlin you also see all their like handprints all over everything right i love i never i never noticed that before and i really enjoyed that it's just it's really good foreshadowing to when we actually finally see like the creature eating the gingerbread cookie and it, it, get, it gets dead, and then the next one, she is tossing plates at her, and she comes at it with a fucking knife. Get out of my <laughs> then there's the other one that she she oh. sprays with the bug spray into the microwave. Into the microwave. Microwave. In that scene, so this is the small unpin of, of something going on in the background. When you when the camera's cutting to her looking at the microwave, the stab gremlin is still writhing in the background. Oh, it, no. And you can see that it has a knife in its chest and that it's like trying to pull the knife out. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then so it's like, but you're watching her watch the microwave, and then like you see the gremlin in the microwave, and it's like the way that it explodes, I'm like, this this is where I'm saying, like, the movie's not afraid of payoff. 
it's like we're we're always told like you know you can't put certain things in the microwave certainly don't put living things in the microwave mm-hmm. what happens if you do yeah and that was such a thing in the 80s like do you remember the game maniac mansion did you ever play that i played that oh yeah, yeah you could put the hamster in the microwave <gasps> yeah i don't remember that yeah you could do that and like i just remember growing up like hearing stories about people who put babies in microwaves sure. and things yep. like that and it's like oh it's such an urban legend yeah I, I i i yeah i don't know when microwaves really like came onto the market it was probably like the 70s but yeah 60s, i think 70s. by the 80s they were probably a regular household fixture yeah and yeah it just uh yeah, I don't know. It's just glorious to watch because they don't skimp on the gore. No, it's disgusting. But yeah, uh, don't mess with moms. Like she fucking adapts because like after the microwave thing, she goes and like pulls a knife out and then she's like, I need two knives. Yeah. Like she's like, okay, I, I got a taste for this. The, the little voice in my head is saying to kill again. So <laughs> This isn't my joke. This the Greatest Generation guys did this movie as a bonus thing. Oh, and they said like, how much do you want a gremlin knife block? <laughs> and like, I can't get that out of my head. The idea of just like a gremlin, like, and like now you said like trying to grab one, you could have one like holding a knife that's going into it. Yeah. And every time you put a knife in, <laughs> I'd, pay, I'd pay upwards of like one hundred fifty dollars for that. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and then she goes to the Christmas tree. She gets her taste for blood, and she just wants more. <sighs> Yeah, because yeah, she sees something moving in the stocking, which, Mom by the helps. way, terrible placement for a stocking. Like, that's right in front of the fire. Any candies you have in that are going to melt. I was like, if you got any, like, like bite-sized chocolate bars or something like that, like, those are just goo now. Yeah, that's how they like them. <laughs> Maybe. But she rips it open. They're full of, like, chestnuts or walnuts or something. Right. Like, Is that something that people used to do? I think so. Like chestnuts ro- roasting on an open fire. Here's your nuts. Yeah. Christmas morning. <laughs> Yay, a Yay. walnut. <laughs> I can't open this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think she kills more. Well, I, besides the like movie theater blowing up, uh, she kills more gremlins than anybody else. I don't think anyone else really kills a gremlin, do they? Yeah, unless you count Gizmo. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no. Like, she's she like gets it like she decides like i'm going to murder these things and uh she's good at it she's got she's got a knack for for the murder i think like we really need to emphasize like that whole sequence from her in the kitchen to getting attacked by the gremlin in the tree to zach coming out and hitting it with the sword which falls off in the beginning it's definitely a kaufman's chimpanzee um oh sure 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 is very tense and scary. Like, oh, so, so yeah, Billy does kill one because he cuts the head off that one and the head fa- goes in the fire. Right. And like, that's also payoff. Like, a screaming monster head in a live fire? <sighs> What's better than that? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. A monster skeleton leaping out of a... Out of a water fountain? Out of a water fountain, and then the skeleton turning from solid to liquid. <laughs> It's so good. Like it's some of the best effects I've ever seen. I guess the original script didn't have uh, uh, Gizmo pulling up the light. Oh, like Billy came in and shot it or something like that. And Steven Spielberg was like, "We need to have Gizmo like get the final blow." Like, I heard they were going to kill off Gizmo, and then they're like, "No, come on, Gizmo has to be here the whole time." It's yeah. like, yes, yeah. of course he does. She does. I don't know. Yeah, we we don't know how they identify. <laughs> It is right to have Gizmo get the final blow. Yeah. And, like, the gnarly sun death is so good. Because we also haven't really seen visually how when a evolved gremlin hits water. Like, we see the one go in the pool, and mm-hmm. we know what happens. But, like, this is, like, the bubbles on the back start forming. Yeah. And then the sunlight hits it, and it just starts eating it away. Yeah. And it's, like, layer by layer we get, like, deeper in. Its eyes turn all white. Uh, Look like they're popping out. Yeah. And it's just gnarly, and it's, like, it's a good villain death. Yeah. When they showed Marley looking at it, did you think that Marley was going to go try and lick it? No. (laughs) I was like... Was her tongue hanging out or something? No, but just the way Marley was looking at the... Like, dogs like gross stuff. Like, when they go up and smell, like, vomit in the streets or whatever. Barney. Barney. I'm sorry. Yeah. Marley's the movie about the dog that dies. (laughs) 
Spoiler alert, Marley and Me the Dog dies? I think so, yeah. Oh, man. Well, uh, in uh, my octopus teacher, the octopus dies. <gasps> How dare you? I really liked that, by the way. Oh, did you? Isn't it just some guy that follows an octopus around and then the octopus dies? Did you not see it? No. Because I could figure out what happened without watching it. Oh, my God. Okay. We're talking off pod. <laughs> Yeah, the the movie theater scene that, that like precedes that. There's a lot of stuff in there that I like that I I'm not entirely sure how they did. Like when they're backstage mm-hmm. and uh, like the movie's playing. Was the movie actually playing? Where they're like, we gotta get Snow White and the Seven Dwarves like playing on this big screen while they like they show them like walking around. I think so. Yeah, I was gonna say it looks good. It doesn't look like it was green screened or something. No, I but... think it's projected on there. And then, like, when the movie cuts out and, like, the gremlins can see their shadows and then you see it from the other side and it's, like, it's, like, uh, animation of, like, all the gremlins hopping up. But I was, like, I like that animation because they kind of look even, like, more vicious a little bit in the yeah. animation here. Yeah. There's some stop motion animation, too. Like, when after When they show them coming out the of pool. the, yeah, the YMCA. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff, too. I like all that. Yeah. Yeah. You just get all these, like, all the practical effects techniques are thrown into this movie so on the topic of the rules are these not the vaguest rules you've ever seen or or heard of usually i can suspend my disbelief enough but it's a real sticking point with after midnight because time is so relative right midnight is a construct that people came up with like it's not like the moon is always in a specific place at midnight i mean let's not even bring time zones into the matter well that's where i was going i was gonna say maybe it's midnight by purely central time zone standards and that if they go to the east coast then it's like no feeding them after 10 p.m or something uh See, that's confusing. Well, actually that's confusing because the second movie takes place in new york and it's still a midnight rule what about daylight savings time? Does that affect this? What if you're in a plane <laughs> and you cross time zones and he's got like a sesame seed or spinach stuck in his mouth? And then he eats that afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Does that count as eating? Yeah. How many calories cause this transformation to happen? And if they can't drink water, like how do A, how do they literally live? But it's like we also see them like in the snow. <laughs> we see them drinking beer. That one, like, noir protagonist one is, like, drinking whiskey. Can they eat watermelon? I, I was totally thinking. I was like, what? yeah, what's the watermelon situation like <laughs> for them? Like, I really uh, hate these rules, to be honest. <laughs> they're, they're, they're kind of a sticking point. I also feel like the bright light rule no, no. is very flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh as there's a bunch of scenes where I'm like, it's pretty brightly lit in here, and Gizmo seems fine. I know a cinema is dark, but sometimes when the screen comes on and it's like it's bright white, white, yeah, and like the light from the projector is like hitting the gremlins at several points, but it's like the match light that Phoebe Kate's light is is too bright for that one gremlin, right? And so, like, when they blow up in the fire, is it also the brightness of the explosion that kills them? I mean, this is where it's probably a good point to just Is it just, just ultraviolet light? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, if I do a dark light, does that also kill them? Yeah, what about black light? Does that work? Yeah. I don't know. There's just is like it, like LEDs. Would those be okay, or is that too bright? I yeah. I like so many unanswered questions. Um, let's see. Okay, so one other thing we haven't covered yet: Phoebe Cates' monologue <sighs> about her dad dying. It was Christmas Eve. I was nine years old. Me and Mom were were decorating the tree, waiting for Dad to come home from work. A couple hours went by. Dad wasn't home. This is a very polarizing thing. How do you feel about it? I'm okay with it, but only on the idea that it's supposed to be 
like so dark that it turns around to be funny. Do you feel that way? <laughs> a little bit. Like it's so out of place that I find it funny. Christmas Day came and went, and still nothing. So the police began a search. Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Everything was falling apart. I don't know. <laughs> no. As soon as she starts in, it's like, I was nine years old. It was Christmas Eve. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know. I watched this movie as a kid. And we had a fireplace. So, like, the thought of, like, Which, my dad... Honestly, going, is there has there ever been a fireplace that, no. like, someone could conceivably sneak down no way that's what makes santa magical but like i just remember like looking over at the fireplace well i'm watching this movie and thinking like you know my dad could be dead in this for days and we wouldn't know the house was freezing so i went to try to light up the fire and that's when i noticed the smell firemen came and broke through the chimney top and me and mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. And instead, they pulled out my father. I don't know. It was too disturbing. I mean, maybe for like a kid's movie, but I, I don't know. Yeah, as an adult, now I was kind of like, okay, I can see why Joe Dante pushed to keep this in. Because it sounds like Spielberg wanted to take it out. He's like, this is too dark. Yeah, I, I like, I couldn't tell you why it's I'm there. I'm on the fence, I It's guess. just, it's so dark that it turns around to be funny a little bit to me. I was like, this is like absurd uh, you know at this point yeah i don't know it's like i want it to be i don't know i like this is the only thing i can think of but like have it not be like i smelled his body rotting but like it smelled like poop because he pooped his <laughs> pants or something like it needs to be a little more a little more openly maybe? comical yeah and like he slipped on a banana peel <laughs> or something like that where it's like just take it to that place because it's like it's too and it's like and this is not phoebe cates's problem but it's like she plays it so straight sure that you're like this is fuzzy winkle's old rubber chicken factory yeah (laughs) (laughs) i can't she she's upset about it and so i'm upset like i can't like take it to the funny That's a joke for extras right there. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming up if it hasn't come out already. So, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about it. Yeah, I, I mean, if you cut it out, I don't think I'd miss it. But at the same time, it's like, like I don't want to go to bat for it. But when I watch it, it doesn't necessarily take me out. It's just, it seems like it's so dark that it like just turns around to being... Like absurdly funny. Yeah, and I mean, if it's if it has a place in any movie, it's this bananas cuckoo thing. Let's imagine how Judge Reinhold could have gotten his proper comeuppance for Judge Reinhold's. His uh, whole thing was like, should there have been a courtroom of gremlins? <laughs> and like guilty. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and they sentence him to some really painful gremlin related death mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah his whole thing was um capitalism synergy he's like you gotta jump on hey, that don't badmouth synergy <laughs> <laughs> so he should be sent to they stuff him full of dollar bills in his mouth and he chokes on him i was gonna say yeah uh, uh some bank related death would be good because he's like by 30 i'll be a millionaire yeah uh, so, uh, or in, in proper Looney Tunes fashion, a safe would be dropped on his head. There we go. I like that. Take that, Judge Reinhold. <laughs> so, yeah, have we hit all the, the good points in this movie? think so yeah i think that's it okay well on that note what do we got coming up next week well next week's an extra special episode matt how so ryan we're bringing on a guest (gasps) it's 
been like a full month since we had a guest. At least. And it's a guest that we haven't had on for a long time, but uh, she's a very special guest for us. And we've been Netflix partying with her all the time. It's Jessica Baxter. Ugh, I love Jessica Baxter. Yes. She has been uh, strictly quarantining just like us. So we've all been very on the up and up on this. So I think it should be okay. And she wants to do the unexpected Christmas movie in Bruges. Oh, okay. I haven't seen this movie since theaters. I've never seen it. So really, really. Oh, I let okay. her. I, I let her have free reign, and and I uh, just told her we were doing unconventional Christmas movies, and this is what she chose. So. Okay. 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 Yeah. Okay. Okay. I trust her taste, and uh, I'm excited to hang out with her. Last time when we did Womb, <laughs> we were wasted. <laughs> Uh, I don't, did we get wasted on the podcast or was it just that we drank several bottles of liquor over the course of the night? Well, I think it was like a two hour episode and then we hung out for another like two or three after that. Sure. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we started watching body double and then she's like, I have kids dressed to kill dressed to kill. And I, I I think if memory serves, her phrase was, I have a family (laughs) because it was like one 30 in the morning. (laughs) And it's just like Angie Dickinson, like scrubbing her cooch. And she's like, I have a family. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens this time. Uh, always fun with her, though. And uh, can't wait to do a movie you've never seen. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, uh, the the writer, director, Martin McDonough, I'm a big fan of. Oh, yeah. So. I like him. So. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Well, until then, I think it's time that we uh, plug our junk and then get the fuck out of here. Patreon, sorted topic of coin. If you want to support us in the most appreciated way, that is the way to do it. Patreon.com slash movies. Yeah, it's all month long. We're, we're, we're turning S- out. Sign up now because there's just buttloads of Xmas goodness. Yeah, and then there's just more coming out. Next month, we've, we've got a bunch of special stuff coming out too, so patreon.com slash x-rated movies outside of that the freest way to show your support is to leave us love this is probably the second most appreciated way from us to show your appreciation your your apple podcast your stitchers your overcasts your wherever you get podcasts yeah we haven't gotten a review in a while and i they love them they wore my cockles make that your christmas gift to us warming ryan's cockles um, you can also just reach out to us and chat if you want. Uh, we're on Twitter, X-Rated Movies. Facebook, Rated X Movies. We have an email, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And uh, if you just like to watch, you can go to our website, xratedmovies.com. You don't want to interact. That's fine. Yeah. No judgments. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah. This, this was fun. I, am, I enjoyed revisiting it, and uh, I enjoyed talking about it with you. Good, 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 good. Uh, All right, until next week. Uh, Keep reaching for that rainbow. Bye.